Here is Jesus who has come into the world to destroy the works of the devil, who has come to take away sin. And so it would be a battle with demons from the beginning of his ministry. He has come into this district around Gadara. He has come there after having taught in his great parables and then experienced a storm at sea. And then when he, his little boat comes up on the beach, the people hear from the tombs on the hillside the shrieking of a wild, maniacal type of personality. And they look and they see bounding from tomb to tomb a naked man screaming. They are met by this man. He is strangely taken with Jesus. There is an involuntary voice that speaks from him that says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, do not torment me. Jesus disturbs the power of the devil. The devil recognizes his power and the demons inside this man recognize his power too. Jesus said to this unclean spirit, come out of the man. And then he asked him an interesting question. What is your name? What is your name? Have you ever spoken to someone who was either deranged or in a jarring accident? One of the first things they do when they get you conscious in a recovery room is to speak your name. They want some identity and integration of your personality. And Jesus said, what is your name? This is what we, we call a little child by his name when he falls and wounds himself or is hurt. We want to assure him. And that reassurance of his personality being intact is helpful to him. So Jesus says to this poor demon-possessed man, what is your name? And he said to him in contradictory language, my, which is saying, my name is legion, for we are many. You see, he is fragmented. And he began to entreat Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. A Roman legion had 6,000 men in it. But the figure is not to be held exact here because of the confusion that exists in this mind which has been disordered by what has happened. And then this noticing of the big herd of swine feeding nearby causes the demon inside the man to say, send us into the swine. 
They wanted to be embodied in some way. It's a strange prayer. It's a prayer almost of degradation. Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission. And coming out of the, un the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. It's, and those who tended them ran away, the people who kept these swine. Now, there have been all kind of commentaries written about the fact that these may have been Jewish people bootlegging pork in the, that they had no business having swine. Uh, Decapolis, which will be called later where this man will carry out his very effective ministry, is pure Greek for ten cities. And so this was a mixed region where there would have been Jews and Greeks. And it seems rather to me that these may have been some Jewish people and some Greek people who were far from Jerusalem. And because of their entanglements with uh, other people have lost the distinctive qualities which they had adhered to. And they have gotten into things which they should not have gotten into. And maybe I'm speaking to someone like that today who finds himself or herself far away from God and from the requirements of holiness and from Jesus and what he wants in your life and having accommodated other people in a way of living which is not in accord with what God would have you do you're a long way from him John Ellington mentioned a moment ago that reverse culture shock which he felt in coming back and in seeing things change so radically and sometimes not for the better but for the worse we must as Christians we must go to standards of the Bible standards of conduct that do not have a sophisticated casuistry a rationalization that permits us to do whatever we wish to do even if it's evil, even if it's killing unborn babies. This week someone came to me and said, where in the Bible does it say that homosexuality is wrong? For starters, try the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. Try the book of Leviticus where it is called an abomination for a man to lie with a man or a woman with a woman that they were to be stoned to death. You say that's in the Old Testament. Well, it's in the New Testament too. If you look at Romans chapter 1, you will see where God gave them up who abused themselves with mankind. If you look in 1 Corinthians 6, you will see it again. If you look in the epistle of Jude, you will see it again. How many times does God have to say something before you pay attention to what he says? 
and I do not speak callously. I speak with sympathy toward those who are struggling against this terrible thing. But I speak against those who would call it good because it is not good. When the church blesses and says that evil is good, the church becomes apostate. It falls away from God. Now those of us who have worked with people with this orientation who are struggling against it, find them thankful to God that in Christ they can be a new creation, that in Christ they can find help to overcome those tendencies and they do not have to give way to them. I can still remember a boy back here in my study who came to talk with me and he asked me if the Lord would forgive him for this and I said yes he will forgive you and he will not only forgive you he'll give you strength to battle against it and we talked about how that battle might be waged and how the victory through Christ could be won I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me if any man be in Christ he is a new creation old things are passed away and behold all things have become new and then I remember that Sunday afternoon when I received a telephone call at a, a place I'd gone for uh, high tea in the afternoon and they said it's an emergency and it was a lawyer calling me from Detroit and a young member of our church had murdered a homosexual prostitute that he had been involved with stabbed him repeatedly and cut him to death was sentenced to the penitentiary for murder. We wrote him from the church. We've tried to help him. And we must show kindness. But I'm telling you, the way of the transgressor is hard. If I didn't believe any other verse in the Bible, I would believe that. The way of the transgressor is hard. And when we go against God's way, we may expect wrath and we may expect trouble. We are not to allow ourselves to be possessed in evil ways. And Jesus can deliver us. Now Jesus delivers this man. He disturbed the devil and he still does. When, he pre when the gospel is preached, it's always disturbing to the work of the devil. And the devil tries to fight against it. And he fights against it through his demons. He disturbed this community because they had been living a long way from Jerusalem and had gotten slack in their observance of what was proper and right. And it evidently compromised with the swine business. And Jesus allowed these swine to be possessed and they went over the cliff and into the sea. And here again, the commentaries go crazy worrying about the pigs. This has never been a worry to me. I eat too many pigs. That's why I had cholesterol. Uh, uh, the the uh, pigs are no problem here. They say this is a property of someone else. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The Lord God Almighty owns all things. 
And I wouldn't sit in judgment too quick if I were you on Jesus. The pigs are destroyed, and he had a reason for it. I think it must have been to give to this man a graphic display that that whole legion of demons which had possessed him were now destroyed. And maybe it was to put these compromisers out of the business that they had been into. But at any, any rate, those who tended them ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country and the people came out to see what had happened. And look at what they saw. If I were an artist, I think this is one picture I would love to paint. And they came to Jesus, and they observed the man who had been taken demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion. And it says, instead of praising God, it says, and they became frightened. They became frightened. Why were they frightened? And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I would like to preach a sermon sometime on this called The Town That Didn't Want Jesus. There are a lot of places where Jesus is not wanted. There are a lot of places that would rather keep their pornography, keep their obscenity, keep their gambling dens, keep their iniquity, keep the things which will destroy them but who do not want Jesus, who are repelled by him. I can remember a dear friend of mine that Johnny will remember also from our days together in Waynesville, Frank Battle. Frank has gone on now many years ago. Frank was an alcoholic, and Frank and I used to go fishing a lot together. He was the best fisherman I ever saw in my entire life. Frank was an old mountaineer, and he had stayed sober a long time. And then he went under, and he was under for weeks, and I tried to find him, and I'd see him on the street, and he'd look down the street, and if he saw me coming, he'd dart into an alley, and he'd hide from me. And so finally, I cornered him one day. And I said, Frank, why are you hiding from me? He said, I'm scared of you. And I said, why? He said, I'm scared you'll pray for me. <laughs> and I said, well, Frank, you need praying for. You need praying for. You see, he was afraid of the very thing that could deliver him. And there are people like that. They are afraid of Jesus because he would deliver them from the thing which would destroy them. This is what's here. The people of the town came out and they besought Jesus that he would go away because it interfered with their economy. Once when William Wilberforce was debating the matter of slavery before Parliament, 
in London. Some of the people said that the, they could not see his point, one of the right honorable gentlemen. And Wilberforce turned his back and took two gold sovereigns and put them in his eyes and clenched his eyes on them so that they blinded him and he said, that's why you can't see the point. It's money. And that's often the case. But the very one who can deliver us, this disturbing Christ who disturbs the work of the devil and who disturbs these who have compromised their faith, the one whom we would dismiss from our life and from our region, he alone is the one who can save us and make us whole. I love the last scene. They saw this man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They begged Jesus to leave their region but this man begged Jesus that he might go with him. The man who had been demon-possessed was begging him that he might accompany him. And Jesus said to him, no. Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, go home. Go to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went off and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that's ten cities that were in league, what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And in Matthew 15 we read that when Jesus came back into the region of the Decapolis, that there were great multitudes that came to him. And I'm sure it must have been as a result of this transformed life, this great example that they had seen there. Now, the lesson for us this morning is a personal one and one that we can apply to others. Is there anything in our lives that we are not willing to give up for Jesus? We have to be honest with ourselves. If we want to be his disciples, he must be Lord of all of our lives, and that includes how we make our money. One of my favorite preachers used to preach at Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh. And one day after a service, when a sermon similar to this had been preached, a woman who was a concert pianist, came up to the front of the church and she said she wanted to be a Christian but it would cost her too much if she had to leave the music world that she was into at that time. And this pastor took a piece of paper and he took the words from, John, from Acts chapter 10 where Peter had refused to rise and kill and eat from that sheet that was let down from heaven. You remember Peter said, not so, Lord. And so the pastor wrote on the piece of paper, not so, Lord.
And he said there is a contradiction in these three words. You cannot say not so and Lord. You will have to strike through one or the other. He let her pray for a while and then he came back. And she had crossed through the words not so and had left the word Lord. And they prayed together and she had made a commitment of her life to Jesus Christ. That's what I call you to now. The best way for us to deal with that which is ugly and debasing in the society in which we live, in the world that we are in day by day, is to turn our minds upon Jesus Christ, to say not so to the world, but, not, but to say Lord to Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we pray for all of those today who are lonely, for all of those who are victims of violence or violent themselves, for those who are afraid of death, for those who suffer mental torment and anguish, for those who are oppressed by the devil. We pray for their deliverance. And we pray, O oh God our Father, those of us who have known the liberating power of Christ, that you will cause us never to say not so to him, but to give him all that we are every day that we are permitted to live, so that we may be able to tell the people at home where we are and show them by our lives that we belong to Jesus, and that we may be able to tell others in the world of how good the Lord's works for us have been. Bless us now by thy grace and keep us in thy favor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.